Hello and a very warm welcome to another Nightlight Podcast. Back with me on the program today is author Simon Bennett, and we're going to be talking about one of God's amazing superheroes, Elijah. Simon, superhero movies are probably the most popular genre of movies today, but in the Bible, we read the accounts of real-life superheroes, right? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting to sort of trace, you know, what happens in a superhero movie. Often they're sort of solitary people. They're, they're sort of individuals sort of marked out with a special gift or talent, but they also have a weakness. So Superman had all his powers, but he had a weakness when confronted with kryptonite that led to his seeming demise, but it also led to a final victory and a sort of resurrection. Right. And of course, we see that in, in Jesus's life. He was fully God, but he was uh, fully human too. And it was that weakness, that uh, that physical weakness of being physically human that allowed uh, the crucifixion to happen and his final resurrection to, to victory. And of course, Jesus promised that we could do even greater things than he did so that we can have faith that we can be superheroes too. Well, he did say, yes, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Yeah, I mean, I've got these four sort of categories where he called calling us to imitate him in his power with that verse where he says, the things that I am doing, you are able to do because I am in you. And then the mission, which is the same mission that Jesus had to bring the good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives. His suffering as well. Some people teach today that Jesus suffered so we don't have to, but it's clear in the sort of discipleship messages of Paul that if we want to share his glory, we must share his suffering as well. Yes. And his resurrection. Of course, that's what we're all looking forward to. He was resurrected into a a new body and a position seated with the Father, and we're looking forward to that too. So in all ways, yes, we're called to imitate and follow Jesus in that supernatural life. Nightlight, keeping you in tune with the times. Well, let's zero in now on one of my favorite superheroes, the prophet Elijah. How would you say Elijah models many of the superhero characteristics? Well, yes, Elijah was an individual set apart and chosen by God to challenge the evil uh, that was prevailing in his time. He challenged King Ahab and warned him about his idol worship, proclaiming there would be no rain for three and a half years. He went out into the sort of wilderness areas where he was supernaturally uh, provided for by God for the entire three and a half year period. And then in a face-off with prophets of Baal, he won an amazing supernatural victory on Mount Carmel. Uh, But then at the greatest point of his greatest victory, he fell into his human weakness. He got very discouraged when he saw that this great victory hadn't led to a total change in Israel. Jezebel was still after him. And he went out and asked to die, really. He, he had no hope left. But God met him in the wilderness, encouraged him, strengthened him, and he started a, a new ministry, really, uh, training, anointing Elisha, and going out to, to minister to those who God wanted him to minister. And then finally, you know, the final victory was his supernatural resurrection. Not a resurrection, actually a supernatural rapture, because Elijah didn't die. He uh, was uh, taken away by chariots of fire, one of the few people, children of God, who didn't pass through death. And so he follows that superhero pattern rather well. Right. 
Okay, Simon, well, walk us through some of the similarities that you've seen between Elijah and the believers in the last days. Well, I do think that we can only really recognize the spiritual realities of our own life in this current modern day world by recognizing they're the same spiritual realities that were faced by people in the Bible. So we've already talked about Noah in a previous program. Knowing this flood was going to come. We're faced with a flood of evil that we know is coming on the earth. And we do need to prepare as Noah prepared. And then like with Egypt, recognizing that we are living in an Egypt right now where we are preparing for a pharaoh to come who will be very uh, antipathetic to us right. and will persecute the church. And so with Elijah, I think he lived in, in a time where there was this state-sponsored idol worship where Ahab was setting up altars for Baal. In 1 Kings 15, 32, it said, he set up an idol, that's Ahab, for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. And Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. And so we can look at that as being something sort of way back in the past and rather irrelevant to our current time, but we are seeing that more and more now, open idol worship, state-sponsored idol worship, and probably the best example is the latest uh, Commonwealth Games that was, uh, I think, held in Birmingham, in which it was clearly an idol worship the BBC's official commentator spoke of the stage structure as being a Tower of Babel around which ritual dancing was enacted and this focus was on the Tower of Babel as a source of fire and healing. My gosh. And this worship of this iron bull who had devilish eyes and fire out of his mouth, uh, many people see that as very symbolic of the, the Baal worship of the Canaanites. Unbelievable. And so we see the reality that we are in the same position as Elijah was. Uh, towards the end of the Commonwealth Games meeting, they called upon occult spirits, called upon the spirit of autumn, the spirit of winter, the spirit of water, the spirit of the earth, which is meant to be like a return to Druidry, which is the sort of ancient idol worship of Britain. Right. And this whole Commonwealth Games just seemed to be a, a sort of embrace of paganism and the rejection of God. And it's only when you can just recognize that the spiritual realities of Elijah's time are exactly the same as our spiritual realities now. We are not advanced. We are not civilized. Uh, we are spiritually corrupt in the same way. And just as Elijah's idol worship did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, you can't, you know, we can imagine the, the grief that gives that a former Christian country such as UK, which sent out missionaries and, and evangelized large parts of the world, China and Africa, right. is now uh, state-sponsored idol worship. I don't think the people really know what's going on. It's state-sponsored. It's the rulers of the kingdoms of this world who are, are promoting this idol worship and encouraging everybody to participate. Right. And that was just one glaring example of state-sponsored idol worship. And there's so many others probably do a whole program just on that topic. Of course, Simon, the ultimate in idol worship will be the worship of the Antichrist and his image. The worship of the image and the Antichrist. Yeah, we're, we're being trained to worship idols, to worship celebrities. We're being sort of coached into idol worship, I think, and worship of sport, even now as the World Cup opens. Uh, it's seen as very much the sort of very popular idol worship that 
we can get drawn into if we're not careful. Signs of the Times. And so, of course, we could go on into Elijah's response, I guess. So Elijah's response was to sort of rebuke the king and then to flee into the wilderness. You know, for those three and a half years, when towards the end of his time in the wilderness, somebody came to him and said, you know, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master Ahab hasn't sent someone to look for you, Elijah. You know, Ahab was after Elijah, and Elijah had to go and and find uh, very quiet, private places out of reach of Ahab. And that that seems to be very much the sort of counsel of the scripture for, for Christians in the tribulation. Jesus told his disciples that when they see the abomination of desolation, there should be no hesitation, but they should flee to the mountains immediately. That's right. And of course, there's that encouragement in Revelations 12 that the woman would fly into the wilderness, into the place prepared for her, where God will nourish her out of reach of the serpent for three and a half years. So the stories are just sort of extremely similar. We know that, of course, he was three and a half years in the wilderness because of the, I think it's in James, isn't it? It's in James where we're told, James 5, that we're told that he prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And we know that the the drought started when he prophesied to Ahab, and then it finished just after Mount Carmel, when he'd won the the victory, and Ahab went scurrying back in his chariot, and the rains poured. So his period in the wilderness was also three and a half years. So it's, it's very interesting, just a huge template for us to recognize the spiritual realities that we're living in and the spiritual reality of what's coming. Right. And of course, God fed Elijah in the wilderness for that three and a half years, just as we read in Revelation 12, that he's going to feed the woman, his end-time church, in the wilderness. Absolutely. People are probably familiar with these stories, but they are wonderful to remind ourselves that he spent a great deal of time by himself, by the brook Cherith. The Bible says in 1 Kings 17 that the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the book. So he was had a solid two meals every day right. at, at the Lord's hands and the hands of the creation, which, of course, God inhabits the natural world. He inhabits his creation. He inhabits the animals, the birds. And though the, the cities, the way we're used to looking for our provision, mm-hmm. we're going to be looking to God and his natural world to provide for us. Um, and then, of course, they had the miraculous provision at the, the widow's house in the village of Zarephath, where they had free flour and free oil for the whole period of time where he was there. And there's this sort of very encouraging time when he was once again in the wilderness after Mount Carmel, when he, you know, he was exhausted in the wilderness and an angel prepared him what we would say in South Africa, a braai, <laughs> had the hot coals out, baked him some bread and had some water and, and, and cooked for him in the wilderness so that he had the strength for the rest of his journey. And this is what the Bible apparently says is going to be the provision of the church to feed her, to nourish her, to take care of her in the wilderness. So there's just huge comparisons there. And I do think it's the only way we're going to uh, have the faith to survive is to really, you know, keep these Bible stories very, very close to our our hearts and uh, really, uh, really remember them as God always encouraged his children to do, to really mark the miracles he's done in the past and remember them, to encourage us to stay faithful and obedient to him in the future. Right. 
I mean, after Elijah's glorious victory of calling down fire from heaven, killing the prophets of Baal, he got really discouraged, didn't he? He fled from Jezebel into the wilderness. Yes, Elijah did face then this discouragement, and he had this huge victory on Mount Carmel, you know, a notable victory over victory for God over the forces of evil. He might have expected everything to change at that point, but it, it didn't change. And so therefore he got very discouraged. And um, the passages in, in uh, Daniel 11 and Daniel 12 about the church say that, you know, the church will flourish rather like Elijah did, but they will also stumble so that they may be refined, purified and made spotless until the time of the end. That's Daniel 11:35, And Daniel 12:10 is many will be purified and made spotless and refined. Hallelujah. Amen. So we just have to expect these these tests that are going to humble humble us greatly in the wilderness, humble us greatly and, and uh, purify us and make us white. I'm sure there was moments after his victory where Elijah probably felt quite pleased with himself. You know, he thought, oh, I've done this. What a victory. I'm sure. But soon fell into sort of discouragement and depression. And so... Uh, we have to be sort of aware of the spiritual battles, I'm sure, that we're going to face in, in the last days too. And I think there's a very important lesson to keep in mind, you know, as we as individuals, also the church as a whole, that for sure there are going to be many wonderful victories as we confront the forces of evil in the last days, but they won't prevent the Antichrist and his people coming to power and prophecy being fulfilled. So, it may seem like a defeat and be discouraging to God's children. Yes, 100%. And this is why I believe we just have these Old Testament stories, you know, the Exodus, you know, and they, where they won victories, you know, they won the victory at the Red Sea. But yeah. right after that, yes. there, was, there was tests, you know, three days later, there were tests. Right. And I think just having these stories in mind, as Paul said, uh, in First Corinthians 10 will really help us to um, to sort of guide our ship through the troubled waters and the difficult times. Yes. Before we move on, any other lessons we can learn from Elijah's time and discouragement in the wilderness? Well, I think so. I do. I do think it's um, it's quite important. There are many Christians who are on the sort of front line. Maybe maybe they're doctors. Maybe they're lawyers. Maybe they're activists of some sort who are striving against the evil that's coming on the world and um, speaking out against vaccinations and uh, uh, speaking out against uh, the agenda that we're seeing coming. And um, as we know, the process that we're starting to see undergoing is ordained in the Word of God and, and will happen. And no one is going to be able to stop the Antichrist apart from Christ himself. Right. And so I think it's just encouraging for all to recognize if they are involved in those ministries, like Elijah was obviously, you know, face to face with the evil, challenging it and overcoming it and on Mount Carmel. But then he did face great discouragement and depression and the solution for his discouragement. God's solution for it was to send him out on a sort of ministry trip to go and minister God's spirit to, to other people. That's right. Um, in 1 Kings 19, he goes to anoint two kings, and then he goes to anoint Elisha, the son of Shaphat, to succeed him as prophet. And it's just this, this thing where our, our life comes from, our spiritual life is so centered in, in the body and in, in ministering as Christ ministered. 
and fighting what the evil in the world is, we have to be sort of cautious of what is our role. You know, Jesus didn't, you know, the only evil that he really exposed and recognized was the religious evil of the Pharisees rather than the Roman Empire, for instance, you know, and what the Roman Empire was doing. They were soon going to be embarked on empire worship. I guess they were probably already embarked on that, but that wasn't a focus for Jesus. Obviously, his principal focus was disciple making and training and ministering to ministering to the poor and ministering to his disciples and teaching and training them and i just think that we all have to yeah discover our ministry in the body of christ and and really focus on that as well because that is where god's spirit is also really going to encourage us and sustain us sustain us through the, the time of tribulation as it did yes. for Elijah. So Elijah kind of recovered, <laughs> recovered when his purpose was slightly diverted from just challenging the evil into sort of ministering, ministering to God's people. Shining bright in the dark night, you're listening to Nightlight. Simon, another very obvious similarity in the story of Elijah is that he's raptured up to heaven in a chariot of fire and a whirlwind. That's right. One of the few of God's children who he found worthy to rapture, not to pass through death. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind and chariots of fire and horses of fire appeared um, in Second Kings 2.11. And though, of course, that didn't happen, you know, at the end of the three and a half year period, he, he, you know, God had more things for him to do. And it will happen for us at the end of the three and a half year period when that's what Jesus said, that uh, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened. He will appear in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he'll send his angels to gather the elect from the four winds of heaven. The dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So again, just interesting. Yeah, that the beginning of the story, the middle of the story, the end of the story is is the same as us as it was for Elijah. And I think it's really encouraging (laughs) that we have these templates of what God has done in the past to hold on to in these difficult times coming. Well, let's talk about the supernatural powers that Elijah had and How, Simon, are they similar to the powers that we read that the two sackcloth witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 have? Let's look at what we we do know. The sort of ministry of Elijah seems to be replicated by these last two witnesses, which really appear to be witnessing during the time of of tribulation. Um, So, of course, the first one in Revelation 11, it said they had the power to shut up the heavens so it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And uh, Revelation 11.3 says they're going to prophesy for 1,260 days for the three and a half year period. And that's exactly the same as Elijah. And, of course, Elijah called fire down from heaven on Mount Carmel. And also before that, I think, when their people are coming to fetch him to go to Mount Carmel. Poor soldiers who come. I think, yes, the first 50 went and the second 50 went, went up in smoke. And of course, in the last days, it says that these two witnesses are going to, if anyone tries to harm them in Revelations 11.5, it says fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. Wow. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. So very similar Uh, miracles, the miracles that we saw in Elijah's life, appear to be replicated in these two witnesses who appear to be prophesying from Jerusalem 
And I guess the implications for the church of that are just quite interesting. Obviously, fire coming out of our mouths is not something that that Jesus ever um, advocated or did in his life. Of course, when the disciples wanted to bring fire down on Samaria in Luke 9:55, I think it is, he rebuked them and said, "You don't know what spirit that is. That's not the spirit that I'm bringing for this." this age that's right and so we just need to be kind of very i just hold it lightly i think about whether that will be widespread activities throughout the church in the tribulation or whether it is isolated to these two witnesses that appear to be given these special powers i guess again we'll have to wait and see i would be nervous if lots of christians tried to emulate elijah now <laughs> no, that would make me very nervous yeah, me too but yes it does show supernatural power being demonstrated through his people during the time of tribulation yes we'll just have to to be very prayerful and just see how that manifests and if that is just for these two i mean they are described as uh, lampstands uh, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the lord of the earth and you know you could make the link earlier on in revelations where lampstands are described as churches in revelations 1 the seven lampstands are the seven churches but we just have to hold it quite cautiously and prayerfully i think and trust god for the future but very very similar to elijah's ministry in in all ways like a, a almost just a, an imitation of elijah's ministry we have a guest tonight on nightlight and our guest is Simon Bennett, author of Let's Look Forward, Daniel Look Forward, and God's Children Look Forward, all available on Amazon. Thank you so much, Simon. That was very inspiring and empowering. God bless you. Anything else that you'd like to add before we close? Yes, 100%. Yeah, often we may, may look at ourselves in the physical and we may think that we are not up to snuff and that we're not enough. But we must remember that God, in 1 Corinthians 1, it says that God chooses the foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised, the ones who are not. And so, in fact, if you do have a, a sort of a sensible view of yourself, then perhaps you are well qualified to enter into God's work in the tribulation. I think I say that, you know, the best ability is availability. In God's sight, that willingness and availability to him for his purposes is the principal gift that we need to have, that availability to be used by him. And I truly believe that, yeah, God has specific roles. We're all different, of course. Only God and the Holy Spirit can fit us into his body to play the part that we're meant to play and can teach us the part we're meant to play. But if we are filled with the Spirit and we love the body of Christ and we seek first the kingdom, then he's going to equip us with purposes in these time. Thank God for that. 
Uh, we're all a part of his body. We're all members of his body. Uh, however seemingly weak we may be, once we uh, take on that role of his body, we become powerful in him as he inhabits us. Thanks so much, Simon. And we look forward to having you back with us very soon. Thank you very much, Chris. Really appreciate uh, having me on the show. And I'm going to put the links below to the three previous Nightlight podcasts with Simon Bennett in case you missed them. It's been a pleasure to be with you as always, and I'll be back with you very soon for another Nightlight podcast. Bye for now.